Before the pandemic, we as DevRel practitioners focused most of our speaking efforts on in-person events. Now we have the option of speaking in-person, virtual, and hybrid. Conferences are all mixed up, and so are we. With this experience now in our rear view somewhat, let's look ahead to rediscovering what the advantages are and what we get out of in-person events, knowing what the other side looks like. You're listening to the Community Pulse Podcast. Welcome your host, Mary Thangval, Jason Hand, PJ Haggerty, and Wesley Faulkner. Hey, Wesley. Hi. Uh, it's really great to be back with another episode. We have two great guests that are going to help us with this topic of in-person events. Uh, we have Carrie and Jeff, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Let's start with you, Carrie. Hi, uh, I'm Carrie Miller. Uh, I'm an engineer at uh, GitLab, and I live in the Pacific Northwest when I'm not out roaming around North America on my motorcycle. Oh, her intro is so cool. I'm going to have to try and <laughs> do something like that. Uh, I'm Jeff Blankenberg. I'm the chief technical evangelist at uh, Amazon for Alexa. And uh, when I'm not writing software and trying to talk to computers, um, I, I find myself trying to understand the the new technology in the world right let's let's play with things like ar and vr and and stuff like that so that's that's been my jam lately very cool very cool so as we kind of mentioned at the in the topper we went through a couple of years there where everything was virtual um then last year i think we started with kind of the hybrid situation where um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it was like some people were virtual, some people were actually speaking live. Some people were there in the room with you. Sometimes they weren't. Um, I know that at one point, Mary at Camunda had a whole conference where all the speakers were in one place, but the crowd was all at home. Um, that being said, that's kind of like where we are now with in-person events. What do we think is going to happen? We're going to start right at the top. Of, what are kind of your predictions with how things are going to go with in-person events moving forward? And are we going to see like a continuation of the virtual hybrid model? That is a that is a stumper of a question because I've been trying to figure that out for the last year. Um, it I I think that it's we we will continue to see in person conferences, but I think we'll also see um, a period of experimentation um, with different models. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, I mean, on the surface to deal with. Um, you know, pandemics or health crises that we find ourselves in these days, um, but also um, seeing the benefits towards inclusion and accessibility for many different groups of people. Yeah, right. I, and I, and I think. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I was just—I was just going to say. I think I think I'm in a, a similar boat where, as an organizer of an event, as well as someone that speaks at dozens uh, of events, um, I see that experimentation phase beginning. Um, this past year, uh, with the event that I run, we um, we went with a hybrid model. We we were broadcasting sessions out of a physical space. People were in that physical space, but um, we we recognized that like not everybody's going to come. Uh, whether it's health reasons, work reasons, whatever, um, we're now giving people no excuse to not participate uh, because you can do it from wherever. And if you can be there in person, great. Uh, but I think, I think we're going to see more of that. I, I, you know, conference attendance is down overall from what I can tell. And so this is a way one for a lot of these events to stay afloat because they, they can sell tickets to people that wouldn't otherwise attend. 
but it also gives um, them an opportunity to reach a more broad audience where a lot of these in-person events are, you know, they're geographically locked. You're not going to get a ton of people from Seattle to attend an event in Michigan, for example. I agree. I, 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 I love the experimentation part. I think uh, Austin Parker, I don't know if you saw that thing that he wrote about um, basically having the event where the speakers go to a nice resort and then the audience is all virtual. Um, that seems like a really good, like a, a thing that's a very interesting concept uh, to see if that plays out. Um, but going to conferences is, uh, as speakers is something you, you you now have the option to do virtually or in person. What kind of calculus do you use to determine whether something is worth your time to go to physically or whether or not something's worth your time to either record or to do live a virtual event? Uh, Jeff, what's your answer? Um, boy, that's, that's a tricky math equation. Uh, for me, it, the first question is, do I even have the time? Um, many times, uh, I was, I was talking with PJ before we started broadcasting here. Um, I have been on the road for the last 17 days or so. Uh, I'm home this week, next week, I'm at an event the week after that I'm at an event. And so he was asking me about beer city code. And I was like, you know, I didn't even apply to that because as I looked at the, how the calendar laid out, like I needed a gap in the middle. Um, but it's, that has really nothing to do with that event. I just knew that I'd go crazy if I was, uh, and in the conference every week for like seven, six or seven weeks in a row. Yeah, I saw you at one of these events just what last week. Yeah, you did. Yeah, last week. Um, <laughs> so I, I think I think that's a big part of it. But also, um, there there's a big difference between an event that I want to go to, whether it's for my own personal interests um, or something that I think benefits you know my mission at work, um, or if it's something that I've been invited to and I, it it feels more like I'm doing. I, I hate to say like doing the event a favor, but they're like, hey, we'd really like to have somebody from Alexa talk. Okay, I'll come talk. But is it okay if I do it virtually? Because committing several days to get to wherever the place is. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was just asked to speak at an event in Saudi Arabia, which one would love to go Two, um, it seems like it's a cool opportunity, but it's, it's at a really weird time of the year where I've got some offsites and some other things. So yes, I'll speak, but I can only go virtually, even though it'd be super cool to head over there. And what kind of response do you get where they say, they say, of course, that's, we'll take you anywhere. Um, you well, you. Yeah, yeah. When they're pursuing you, that's, that's the good fortune you have is like, well, I'm going to do it on my terms. Um, but with a lot of the events I speak at, right, I'm, <coughs> I'm competing with everyone else to just try to get a talk and because I, I want to be a part of that event and part of uh, what's happening there. And so those are the trickier ones, you can't, you can't throw any weight around in those situations, you, you're, uh, you're fighting with everyone else for those 100 spots that they have or so. So you're limited by your calendar, basically, is the, the biggest overall thing. What about you, Carrie? Um, I mean, I guess I would echo that, although I'm not doing as, mu as much in-person speaking the last couple of years, um, mostly because I, uh, because I'm in a, a more of a pure engineering role, uh, I don't, not doing uh, developer relations or marketing, um, there's less, there's less pressure on me to, to constantly be doing talks. And so I, I tend to only pitch talks when, um, you know, there's something of passion that I want to talk about, or there's something that, you know, I feel that I need to say. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I certainly have been applying and trying to evaluate the talks based on the value that I think I can bring um, as a speaker or as an attendee, um, what am I going to get out of that? Yeah, and I think the, I think the interesting, like, I think you both, about, I also think, you know, the, the competition on CFPs, like applying to speak places right now is fierce, because I think a lot of people, like they've talked about in the, not necessarily in our industry or even in tech in general, but like, 
in the in the world globally, people want to travel, they want to get out, they want to go do something. Um, and I think in, in our in our little bubble in tech, people are like, you know, a good way to do that is to to go to an event. Oh, well, I have like a clever idea or something. So there's there's I feel like there's twice as many people applying to speak at these events than there was prior to the pandemic. Like people that I think would probably never think about speaking at a conference are now like, you know, I'll do it if it gets me out of my home or out of my office for for, you know, a, a few days. Um, Grant, none of them are, are running on Jeff's schedule. No, mine's and honestly, mine is a lot by choice, right? I don't have like a, a, a leadership set that's like, hey, you need to be in an event every week or you need to do this stuff. Like literally every conference is because I want to be there or because I think it's important to be there. Um, and one of the other big angles is I recognize that like I have the resources of Amazon behind me and I know how important the community is. And without companies sponsoring and participating, some of these events are going to fold up. Right, they're they're mm-hmm. going to close shop because they don't have enough attendance. They're not they're not bringing in enough money to make these things happen. So if if I can be a small part of helping these things survive the the crazy times that we've been through lately, then great. Because I I want to see that event happen for another ten or fifteen years. Right, that would be great. Right, right. And I, I think that 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 leads us pretty into the net. Like, what are the what are the can't miss events? What are the things that like you know, and, and, and I'll kick it out. Like, oddly for me, like, I like, I, I speak at events that are, you know, a 15 person meetup all the way to going to Web Summit, which is 70,000 people um, and everything in between. But certain events like Little Rock Tech Fest is one of my favorite events every year. Um, it's in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's about 500, 600 people. But the community there is just so great and so welcoming. Uh, the fir- I went there the first time in 2015, terrified. I was like, I don't know how they're going to handle it. I, you know, I'm very Northern. I'm very liberal New York. Um, how is this going to go? And they were just like, oh, we're just happy you're here. And it was amazing. So like just, you know, at the end of, at the, end of the event, everyone goes and they, everyone bowls together. Like everyone goes bowling. Like nothing says community like going bowling with an entire conference. <laughs> um, but that's like, to me, that's an event I don't want to miss. It's not a huge marquee event. It's not so it's gigantic and many people will go to, but it's something I don't want to miss. And I'm glad that it's coming back. So in that vein, I know there's the huge marquee events, but like, what are some of the events that you feel like are can't miss events? I went first last time, so I was going to let Carrie go. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking because, because sadly, I mean, one of the one of the the things that the last two and a half years have done, right, is shake up a lot of conferences. And I think I think having when the conferences that I specifically have on my calendar every year that I want to go to. Um, Certainly within the Ruby community, which is what I, I where I come out of these days, um, a lot of them have stopped, have taken the two years off, and then you know come back into it. Have realized, no, we're tired. We don't want to do it, um, or mm-hmm. you know that the, the organizers are taking a break or a hiatus. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm really only going but, to key events right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's 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 even you know that's that's a good point. Is, is from an organizer's perspective, like how did it feel having that two years where you're just like, Hey, I don't have to scrabble to find a venue. I haven't spent two weeks worrying about catering. You know, I haven't sat around deciding whether I'm going to use sessionize or paper call. This is pretty great. I have all this extra time and I'm going to go, you know, buy a 3d printer and build a robot or something. I don't know. Like it's a lot of time you get back. Um, Well, I I came back into it. Um, Actually um, I I was on the organizing committee for uh, RailsConf this past spring mm -hmm. in Portland. Um, which was after a two-year hiatus from organizing was, it was like, oh right, this is a lot of work. Um, and of course, then I immediately, I immediately decided I was going to throw my own conference again next year. So, um, of course, yeah, 
I didn't learn my lesson. No. Well, I don't, I don't know if we had a talk there, but that, that was kind of the point where I was like, huh, code days. Let's bring that back again. Yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the things that I really struggle with, too, is like the, the event I run, Stir Trek, is, I mean, it's it's the thing that is in Columbus, right? We don't have a ton of um, big tech software development conferences here. We have some things that stop by, like NFJS and a couple of other things will we'll roll through town. But um, this has become kind of the, the tentpole of, of conferences here in this town. And one of the, the driving things for me as an organizer is like, if we just close up shop, will someone else do something? And I just mm -hmm. don't get the vibe that they would. I feel like we would just have this absence uh, because it is, it is a huge undertaking, right. To, uh, to find a venue. And we've, we've jumped between a few. Uh, we tend to live in movie theaters, um, mm -hmm. which work really well. Uh, but it's, it's very challenging and it's a ton of work. And uh, to the fact that I have a, a volunteer board of nine other people that are also on board for this mission, is uh is life-saving but i look at like the event that wesley and i were at last week that conference um there is a team of people helping with that but realistically it's a team of like three people that put on a massive event uh and two of those people are married to each other uh that's that, that seems incredibly challenging uh to try to have to run an event with your spouse so um i for me the the tentpole events uh are the ones that drive the best hallway conversations for me and i will probably talk more about this later but the the you, you want the right people to be there um right so you want something that's going to draw in some some well-known speakers or at least people that are going to come from interesting technologies that you can learn from um but one of my one of my preferences always is to walk into an event uh where i know almost no one and I'll leave with friends uh, because we'll we'll connect on technology or maybe we you know use similar library. It doesn't matter what it is, but like we'll find connections. Uh, and you you end up walking out of there, man. Like I hope I come back and see you again soon. So um, I tend to lean away from the really big stuff because when you when you go to an event that has five six thousand people at it, people show up with their click, and they don't mm -hmm. they don't really and hang out with their click and stay with their click. Yeah. Right. But like what you what you said uh, with Little Rock, which is an event I've been to several times. I love that one. Um, everybody's there kind of on their own and they're doing their own thing and they're talking to whoever happens to be around. And it's it's warm and embracing and informative. It's awesome. And you mentioned community, too. Like if, if, if you roll up your event and leave town, there's the community is going to be left without something, um, which is really speaks to like the service that these events do to the people and the the amount of warmth and um kind of like personal interaction that you get from these events and you mentioned also the hallway track is a good thing that you don't get and so i think this is the part of the pod where we dunk on virtual events and talk about what do you get at in-person events that you don't get right now um with with virtual events. So let's, let's start with you again, Jeff, like finish your list. What is, what is What are the more things that you get at in-person events? And then um, we'll go to, well, care. I mean the, the hallway conversation certainly. Um, but there's, when I get to most of the time, when I go to an event, I'm, I'm a speaker, right? So I'm going to show up, I'm going to give a talk or two. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to attend a couple people, maybe if I know them or especially if they're talking on stuff that is, that I'm passionate about, I'll go see what they're saying or what their angle is. Um, I especially love to sit in the back of a room where someone's talking about voice development or Alexa. 
there's nothing I love more than to sit in the back. I mean, I'm sure they feel nervous, like, oh, God, Jeff's back there. But like, um, for me, I get to see their perspectives and see how they think about handling the technology that I work with every day. Um, so those things are really good to me. But if, if we're comparing and contrasting in-person versus virtual, uh, you know, I, I've, I've done my share over the last two and a half years of virtual events. And the only outcome I ever end up with after a virtual event is a bunch of weird LinkedIn requests. Um, that's, that is the extent of the networking and connectivity. I don't know who these people are. Uh, I never got to meet them or talk to them or understand who they are, but now I've got, you know, I've got 20 new people that want to connect with me on LinkedIn, which is great. I'm, I'm open to that. Um, I, I collect people on LinkedIn, so that's fine, but it's not the same as the connections that I build with the people in person. Right. I mean, and, and Wesley, you're a good example of this, right? I met you right after you gave your first keynote at that conference last year and uh, as a result of that, we kept in touch. We talked. We ran into each other at reInvent. We like we went out for some ice cream and just hung out, right? And I had only just met you like six months earlier, um, and then we spent a bunch of time talking again at this at this year's event. Um, and you know, as part of our conversations, I hope I had a little influence on uh, how you've now landed at Amazon. So like those kinds of things all come out of. I'll give you 100% credit for that. Sweet. I don't get any <laughs> referral bonuses, but that's fine. Yeah. So the. Uh, the, the point of all that, though, is that like that happened in the hallway. Um, that's the kind of stuff that you just don't get at virtual events. I agree. Yeah. You're, you're time yeah, bound I, and box bound on those virtual events, PJ. I'll also add like so I, I met Carrie at our we both met at, uh, at Ruby Midwest um, years, many years ago. The number of years does not matter. But it was both. No. I think it was both the first time we were both speaking, like giving a full talk. And we met randomly because on Twitter, we were both like, yo, hanging out in Kansas City, never been here before. Is anybody here for the conference? Hashtag Ruby Midwest. We ended up having several beers, hanging out, and we've been friends ever since. Like it was, it. you're never going to get that from a virtual event. A chance encounter, walking into somebody in a bar, going and singing karaoke with people. I've tried it at virtual mm-hmm. events, doesn't work. Um, there's just that visceral in-person activity that also, you know, you have to think about the way your body language matters, the way you're talking, the way you're bringing people into a conversation matters. It doesn't work that way in a virtual event. I think that's 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 a big difference. Um, I, as I said at the top, you know, I, I'm an engineer at GitLab, and we're 100% remote uh, company from day one, and I, we're 1,600-ish people right now, and we. It's been a couple of years since we've done our, our every nine months we used to do an all, you know global all hands some location for a week, um, and we haven't done that for a couple of years and we're having a lot of conversations about how is that impacting us as a company how is it impacting our relationships with each other when we're not able to reinforce I mean remote work is great right like we've all figured it out we know how to do it uh, we we tend to do it pretty well I think at GitLab um, but a lot of it comes down to um, having those bonds of trust and friendship. Um, beyond the professional, professional relationships. Um, And so, so how do you recreate those when you're only ever going to be virtual? Um, And so trying to figure out ways to to create experiences and opportunities for that community connection, even though it is in a virtual environment um, are are really critical. Yeah. And and I think, I think there are ways to do it, but they're so prohibitively expensive. Like I'm going to get into the metaverse y'all. Here we go. Um, when I was at Mattermost, we actually did, we, we sent everyone in the company to do like a similar uh, all hands, uh, meetup event. Mm-hmm. Everyone got a, an Oculus quest too. 
It looks so, <laughs> looks so real, Wesley. It's so real. Um, but, uh, you, you know, we all got, so we were all able to meet in these spaces and we'd had a bunch of activities that were planned, but the massive amount of money that was spent on getting everybody the Oculus Quest, I mean, they're 300 bucks a piece at that time sending them, mailing them, shipping them all over the world, guaranteeing, then aligning all, taking all the time to align activities that people would interact with. All of that stuff led to like a lot, like it was, it was fun. It was a good time for three days. And you know, now I, now I can pay beat saver whatever I want, but like, does that balance out with the value we get out of it? And I think that that's one of the questions that gets raised with virtual events is how much value is there to it? We, we talked about this a little bit back in episode 61, where we talked about the ROI like when it comes to like being a vendor or a company as an organizer, a virtual event or an in-person event, how, how are you going to convince someone they're, they're ever going to get any kind of return when in a virtual event, there's no reason for them to ever go to your booth. I think that's one of the yeah. key things we don't always consider. Yeah. I I'm, I'm working on organizing what is it, a, new, a new conference for next year uh, from the ground up. Um, so I have no track record, right. Except for, for my name and my, and my, my CV on, on organizing. I so, will buy tickets. Awesome. Well, I, I already put you down for five, so. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I, no. So, like, how do you how do you get sponsors? Because there are there are expenses, right? And like, you know, mm-hmm. even if you have a, a small regional conference, you know, that you're just throwing in the back of restaurants, there's still there's still costs, and you want to kind of get that sponsorship, um, because sponsorship is also a signal, right, of of legitimacy and value, mm-hmm. and. Another signal of that to attendees is often the ticket cost, right? So if I go to reInvent or, or you know, one of the huge conferences, right, where it's eight, nine, hundred, a thousand dollars, right? There's an anticipation of value that I'm getting back from that versus, you know, a $10 meetup, you know, mm-hmm. or a $20 online, online class or something. Um, and, and so it's, it's trying to find that balance. So like, okay, if I'm just doing a virtual thing, then I can bring my costs way down and I can charge less, but then what signal am I sending around the value and the commitment that people are going to make to it? Um, it's, it's a tricky balancing act. This conversation brought to you by StreamYard. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, I, I, I mean, when we think about why companies want to attend these events, um, I mean, I, I see this even with Amazon, right? Uh, I've had many conversations with my team about we need to have a presence here. It can't just be me on a stage, but like I want a place that people can come interact with us, interact with the devices or whatever it may be. Um, and with that comes sponsorship. And the first question was, okay, Jeff, who's going to, who's going to run the booth? Uh, and I was like, well, you know, in a perfect world, we'd have a bunch of software developers there that could answer questions about how you write software to do these things. Um, and they said, well, that's, that's good. But like those people have jobs where they're writing code all day. Like they can't just pull away for three days to go to an event. They've got timelines and, and all sorts of things to hit. And I said, well, the, the biggest draw here is honestly recruiting. Uh, I mean, Amazon, like every other company, is desperate to find good people. And as a result of that, I connected with our recruiting teams. And, I, I, you know, I see this at, at my event, too. And this, m- most of the time you see a booth at an event, it's for recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very rarely do you see someone there trying to sell their services. Uh, it's there as a recruiting opportunity. Hey, we want to bring people in. We want you to come here. But some of, you know, some of it is certainly selling. And uh, the recruiting angle has worked really well. Now I have two or three of our top recruiters coming to these events. They have the time because they're invested in finding great people. And this is a new venue they haven't been to. Uh, but on top of that, they are now bringing in an SDE or a solutions architect or something like that. They're bringing them with them um, as a representative to say, hey, 
you know, I'm here to talk to you about what the opportunities are, but here's somebody that works here. Let me have you talk to them about what they do day to day. Um, and so now I'm not the one trying to pull like just a random developer once in a while. Recruiting is handling this completely. And now we have this right, really nice symbiosis where I'm there to talk and to do the things that I'm there to do. And they're there to run the booth. And I don't have to constantly worry about, you know, do we have enough t-shirts in the back and all that kind of stuff that's, that's handled. So it, for me, recruitment seems to be the biggest thing, the biggest draw for companies to participate from a sponsorship perspective. Well, and I think it's interesting that you bring this up because I think that a lot of times, especially outside of DevRel, marketing always looks at, you know, uh, an event as an opportunity to sell or an opportunity to build sales, top of funnel activity. Mm -hmm. And maybe our metrics around what we're doing at events should be adjusted. Like maybe we should talk about how it helps create pipeline for 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 new hires or how it you know is valuable you know of value i always tell my clients our value there is not to actually sell our value is to tell the community that we're there mm -hmm. uh, to be there to let, let them know like hey we're not here to make you buy this right now but what we are here to do is let you know that we have this product that fits in well with what you're doing and that we care about what you're doing and we hope that at some point in time you care about what we're doing yep. because that's what being a good community citizen is about yeah. Um, without these conferences, like you don't continue to, communities will degrade. And I think you saw that kind of throughout the pandemic, like the virtual events kind of stuck together, but meetups completely fell apart. Most of them have not come back, mm -mm. a vast majority. And part of it is that burnout where people are like, oh, it was a lot of work to do a meetup every single month. And others are just like, you know, hey, I, I don't work in that industry anymore or that part of the tech industry anymore. You know, I don't I don't do Ruby. I do go now. So why would I run the, the local Ruby group? Like things like that, that 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 add into that. But I think that if our organizations, especially in DevRel, can understand that the value of an event is not to sell your product, in the same way that the value of a blog post is not to sell your product, there are other avenues for selling your product. Support the event because loyalty to your brand is more important than selling your brand. Right. Uh, I I use the word mindshare quite often. Um, if we're present, if we're visible we have whatever percentage of mindshare we're, we're chasing. But if we're never around and we're never in front of people, we're not showing them the, the merits and the benefits. Again, not selling, just showing them like, hey, look at this cool new thing I can do. Hey, I can sell products with voice now. This is awesome. Well, um, I mean, I, I've, I've seen, Jeff, how many times in the past year have you been before me speak? Like it was, it was like at least two or three times in the past year yeah. where you were the guy in the room before I came in. And I, I've caught... The, I've never seen the beginning of your talk, but at the end, I was always like, man, that actually sounds like cool stuff. I should do more Alexa developing when right. I get home. All based on the fact that like, that's the whole point of what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I often talk, and this this moves into DevRel a little more than, than what we're talking about today, but um, I've always argued that it's really easy to hate Amazon, but it's it's pretty hard to hate me. Uh, now, that doesn't mean some people don't, <laughs> but the, you know, in general, it's pretty hard to hate me. So when I show up and show you all the cool things that you can do with Amazon, it becomes an easier path for people, even if you're like, oh, Bezos and billionaires and all the money and whatever. Like, yeah, but I'm just this little part of that that gigantic engine. And we're actually doing some cool stuff over here. You should check that out. So, yeah, it's it's tricky for sure. Yeah, I always I always the advice I always gave to new speakers is always, you know, that, that you, you can't communicate or educate people in that 20, 30, 40 minute slot that you have. But you can communicate your excitement or interest or get them you know, get them hooked into the possibilities of the thing. And that's, that's kind of what you're selling at the end of the day when you're on that, on that stage. So um, I kind of wanted to, to jump on the, on the real quick on the point that you were making though, PJ and Jeff about, you know, what, 
what's the meta reason for why we're there and why, why we're doing this? Because um, I think that ties into um, a discussion we're having internally um, and externally uh, at GitLab as we sort of um, go out and talk about our new our idea of managing, managing so everyone can contribute and looking at the different stages that companies go as they move from an all-in-person office environment to a fully remote and what that journey looks like. And the first step that we always, we, we, we've identified is that uh, is a skeuomorphic uh, replication of the office in the remote world. And I think that conferences have been doing that as well, where we're trying to replicate that same thing with like breaks and breakouts and, and whatnot. Um, and as we move more and more into the future of more remote or virtual conferences or different experimental um, ways of approaching it, the, having a platform for, for the communication and meeting these goals uh, for DevRel, we're going to see uh, us moving away from that old model, but we still need to make sure we know what it is we want to get out of it at the end of the day and what we're there to do. Yep. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it, it, that's definitely an interesting point, um, I, especially because I saw so many, so many conferences that literally tried to create the virtual space that looked like, you know, Yahoo GeoCities circa 1992. And it's like, you know, and there'd be like some like, you know, weird static, thing, like, come visit our booth. Like it was so bizarre, some of the virtual options that people took. Um, but there, you know, when it comes to real life, there there is that one big thing that keeps coming up, and that's um, so there was this pandemic. There was this thing called COVID. I don't know if, if y'all heard about this, um, but like it, it, like the mask thing that wasn't just fashion. That was actually because of a pandemic. Um, although I did try to turn it into fashion because um, paragon of fashion that I am. Um, do you think that conferences that right now are doing a lot to kind of mitigate COVID? are seeing better attendance. For example, like, you know, um, I was at All Things Open last year. Uh, we had vac vaccination checks at the door each day, different armbands, our temperatures were taken every day. Everybody had to wear a mask the entire time. I felt super safe at that conference. Um, a few weeks later, I was at another event that I won't name, and there was none of that, and the attendance was just absolute garbage. Um, do you think that conferences trying to control or keep, keep their attendees safe leads to better attendance and a better experience and maybe more conferences should think about that? I think, uh, personally, I think it varies. Um, and I think it, it, it kind of trends along the news cycles. So COVID hasn't gone away, right? Like, we, like sometimes, we, sometimes we pretend it has. Um, and I think that this was one of the things that, uh, that Star Trek really struggled with was as, as January and February of this year progressed, everything started to look like, oh, it's a brand new world. And everybody seems to be coming out of it. And it was like, it was like spring, right? We're all, we're all peeking out of our houses and we're like, it looks like everything's okay. We're going to come out. Well, our event was at the beginning of May and we really, we spent many meetings talking specifically about this subject. Should we make everyone wear masks? Should we have a vaccine, vaccination card check? Should we do temperature checks? Should we like all of this stuff? Um, and what we, what we came down to was, we, we might protect people, but we might, I mean, there's so many different ways. If, if someone wants to come to the event, again, we hold it at a movie theater, so we can't exclusively limit the people that are in the venue. Um, but what if we put all those checks in place and people still get sick? Um, because, you know, we didn't catch it somehow. I mean, like I, uh, I was in Hawaii and I was in Seattle for a, a video shoot with tons of people, came home, got COVID. I, I've got all the vaccinations. So it's, it's certainly not preventing me from getting it. But what it did is prevent me from getting it way worse. 
And so we we had an event where we said we expect everyone to exert as much caution as they expect to um, as much as they'd like. No one will be shamed for wearing a mask or any other precautions. Um, but we did not enforce any anything at all. Um, and we I mean, we sold our sold out our event pretty quickly. We had really good attendance. It was like 97 percent of the people showed up that bought a ticket. So it was I thought we had a really good turnout, but it still felt like. I like I personally wanted to do more, but the logistics and the challenges and the the headache that came with all of that, um, only to potentially still have people get sick seemed seemed uh, seemed tough. Yeah, I was uh, my experience on that is uh, I was on I was actually on the COVID safety committee uh, for RailsConf as well, um, and we we had the the timing was interesting because we we're you know we we're doing all this planning in January and February and deciding what our policies are going to be. And setting the budgets and everything for all expenses as local regulations and public sentiment is changing around what is acceptable um, precautions uh, we ended up st sticking with what we decided in you know in the midst of omicron in january february to to be very aggressive around having you know having vac vaccination required um masks in public spaces but we also put a lot of effort into like really trying to support folks um who are showing up uh, to, to make that the easy choice, right? So like, you know, providing uh, really great testing options, you know, around the venue, uh, making, you know, sending out lots of reminders, uh, providing PVE supplies. Um, and we had crates and crates and crates of uh, rapid tests for people. So it's like, hey, if you, if you don't feel great, like there's free tests right here, it's no problem. We got a room, go, you know, go swab your nose or whatever it is. So just like trying to make it an easy, uh, an easy experience for people um, and, and trying to frame it as, you know, here's this thing you can do in service of the community, you know, to like protect the community. But, but it was a really interesting time to sort of see where we were and, and the public diverging. Um, I, I don't think it hurt attendance. I mean, we were, we were pretty much sold out. Um, and and uh, we, we caught a bunch of people um, who said, yeah, if I hadn't tested to come to the conference, I never would have known that I had COVID. And so they didn't show up. Um, so I don't know, maybe we did a little tiny bit of good for those folks. I hope. Yeah. The, the positive I, outcome of, of positive tests. I, I'm a silver yeah. line kind of girl. So <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, interesting. I think most of the like backlash or upheaval that I've heard is when a conference says one of those two and then switches to the other one. That's usually where I see a lot of, uh, like up in arms, uh, depending on, on what was said initially and in, in the change uh, afterwards. Um, but speaking of uh, being out with COVID, we're gonna be out of this podcast with the checkouts. And so the checkouts is that a part of the show. Wesley, fantastic. That was great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for ruining the transition there, PJ. Uh, the checkouts are the part of the show where we talk about uh, something that we want to pass on related to developer relations or community or otherwise. Um, let's quickly go for Jeff, uh, Carrie, and then myself, and then PJ. So Jeff, you go first. What do you have on your checkout? Sure. Well, as if I'm being responsible, I probably should talk a little bit about Alexa. So I have a really cool kind of workshop tutorial that I have for people. So if, if you haven't built something for Alexa before, it's called Cake Time. Uh, you can find it at alexa.design slash cake time. And uh, it's it's just really immersive, walks you through everything you need to know. So you can show up with zero knowledge and, and find your way through it. 
Uh, and then the other thing is a thing I've mentioned a few times, which is Star Trek. Uh, our event is the first weekend in May. You see it in a movie theater. Um, you get it to see it. You go to it on the day that a big movie opens. Um, and so this coming May 2023 will be Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So you'll get to see that as a part of attending the conference. Uh, and if you're keeping an eye on 2020, 2024, it'll be the new Captain America movie. So um, we are very beholden to the Marvel release schedule. Um, but it's a, it's a great one-day conference in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, we'd love to have you. It's always great to expense a movie when you can. Uh, Carrie, what's your <laughs> checkout? Well, I hope my motorcycle's repaired. I can come. I can come out for that. So, um, so I guess the, uh, the I, I've got a couple small quick things. Uh, one is uh, this effort that we're doing at GitLab called uh, managing so everyone can contribute, um, and really looking at uh, getting more folks on board with with uh, moving into a, a remote. Uh, workplace um, and learning some lessons uh, and passing along what our experiences are in the last 10 years. So um, you can Google for that. It's available on our website. Um, and then I think the other thing, if I could do some self-promotion for a minute, is uh, I'm putting together a little conference for next year called Tiny Tools Conf, um, which is going to be all about tiny tools that we use every day. Um, you know, I don't think um, conferences have to be a big, grand big grand things, sometimes they can be nice and small and perfectly, perfectly fun and disappear into the background with lots of wonderful memories. And I hope that's what, it's, that's what it turns out to be. That sounds super approachable too. Uh, not super, like uh, not in intimidating both for the CFP and also for the people who are attending that you can actually probably get some of that stuff and almost implement it while you're there, which is really great. Sounds like a really good concept. I love that. Um, my checkout is um, the ninth developer relations survey. So it's the ninth year in a row. It's 2022 version. Uh, this year, I help with curating the questions. And my goal is to help with getting more diverse, diverse voices on the tapestry of developer relations. So if you have not filled out that survey yet, I'm going to request, beg you to please get your responses in. Uh, the survey closes on the 10th of August, so it's we, we are one week away from the time of recording. So please, 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 let's try to uh, make sure that my name and reputation is maintained by showing that we can put in a good number. So this is totally selfish. So no, joking. Please, if you can, I would love to hear from a lot of people who are underrepresented, meaning like other GOs other than the United States and uh, other people from underrepresented backgrounds. If we can get your voices heard, I think that will be a more compelling story uh, about who is doing DevRel and where it's being practiced and what it looks like, generally speaking, for those who read this report afterwards and make strategic decisions based on this. So please make sure that we, if you have not done this before, please let this be your first time to, to get your answers in. Thank you, PJ. So this is why I always hate going after Wesley because I always feel like he, he brings such great stuff to the table and it's like, I got this. Um, so I've got a few things. Uh, one is for those of you who've been following me online, heard me talking about this. I know I brought it up on the show before. Uh, Callofconduct.com, my, my, my code of conduct violation tracking app is now live in beta if you're interested. Uh, I can't guarantee it will be 100% safe. Like I said, it's in beta. There are a few bugs still being ironed out. But if you are interested, Please check it out. Um, there's a description on the website. We're working on cleaning up some of the, the stuff, but definitely check it out and send me your feedback directly. Um, you know, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, outside of tech, 
if you if you are an Apple TV person or you get your shows in other ways, which I don't judge, it's none of my business. For all mankind, an alternate history story based on the idea that Russia got to the moon first, and that is not a spoiler that happens in the first five minutes of the show. So Russia gets to the moon first. What does this mean? And it goes through everything from like you know the diversity of the space program in the United States to the Nixon administration, how that lasted a lot longer than maybe it should have. Definitely check it out. It, I believe the season four currently um, is, is currently running, but it like my wife and I, we started watching it uh, based on uh, uh, advice of a friend of ours. Thank you, JJ Ashkar. But uh, we started watching it and we binged the hell out of the first two seasons um, and then almost wept when we had to wait for the others. But at any rate, for all mankind, very cool. Um, before we completely take off, as always, thank you to my my co-host Wesley for being here, helping helping out. Uh, Carrie and Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate your insights and helping us make this a real thing. Um, as everyone knows, I like to kind of you know finish with a. We, I think we're on punk rock quotes for 2022. Um, I did. I did. If you need to check it out, I did just write a, an article about how Devrel is like punk rock. I'll put it in the show notes. But the quote I kind of had. For today, while we're looking at conferences and what they were like before and what they're going to be like in the future, um, it's kind of based on my, my recent trip to a concert to see a small band from the West Coast called Rage Against the Machine. So the quote is, you know, who controls the present or I'm sorry, who controls the past now controls the future and who controls the present now controls the past. So with that thought, we will see you next time. And thank you so much for listening to the Community Pulse. You've been listening to the Community Pulse. Find out more at communitypulse.io, on Twitter at community underscore pulse, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our extra podcast, The After Pulse. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on